Welcome to the Angler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Angler on the afternoon of Thursday, December 21st here in New York City. I'm joined by Elaine Lowe and Richard Rushfield in Los Angeles, and Claire Atkinson is holding down the uh, New Jersey representation. I won't be back there till later in the day today, so Claire, thanks for bringing the rep in Jersey over there. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to see you. Richard is, of course, fresh off bringing his Angler 100 to the printing press. Richard, that's still how you do that list, right? Yeah, exactly. We, we have little teams that kind of assemble each item one by one, handcrafted uh, each item by our workshop here. Yeah, I kind of image of the, of the post, the movie The Post, and they put all the <laughs> all the, the printing press together every day. More like Santa's elves. I'd, oh, I'd oh, oh, how lovely. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Holiday cheer from Richard Rushfield. We'll see, of course, what was the standouts from Richard on that list. Claire is sending out a piece this weekend, handing out grades to all the studios for their 2023 work. Claire, why, why does Paramount have incomplete next to theirs? What happened there? Well, everybody is interested in what happens next to Paramount. You know, we had the report yesterday from Axios that said that David Zaslav was having lunch, surprisingly, with Bob Backish in New York, I think at Times Square at the headquarters. Men who lunch, Claire. It's fine. Uh, What's, you know, they're just exchanging gifts. I don't understand what the big deal was. (laughs) Well, it's intriguing that it's face to face. Let's let's, uh, say that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, everything I heard from folks when I talked to analysts and uh, consultants and industry people was that Paramount actually had had a pretty good year and had played a very good hand with not much. Their streaming numbers were up. They, let me see, they had 63 million subscribers for Paramount Plus in November. That's a pretty good number. And they were growing. Globally. globally. That's good. That's true. Globally. Good distinction. But, you know, they're the smallest player. So, you know, we're going to see what what plays out here. And I think we're going to talk about it some more. Yeah, exactly. Lots to dive into there for sure. And then we have the most wonderful time of the year this year, which is Richard's favorite topic, of course. I think it's a bronze plaque of the head smack emoji, but uh, we'll be handing that out as well. But uh, Richard, have you prepared your your Paramount offer yet or when is your meeting with Shari? Uh, yeah, like I, uh, as I always say, it sounds like a lot of work. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm more <laughs> interested in... We got to get you a new line, Richard. I, you know, I think you know you do enjoy, you'd fit out a whole list of 100 things this week. I think you like the work. Yeah, but I have liked it and I'm ready to like it. Less. Is the pay cut too much for you, Richard? Is that it from uh, writing to being a media executive? Is that it? Yeah, I, I'm more interested in taking over a company that kind of have monopoly position at top where you can kind of just coast and it's not really much you can do to screw it up for 10 or 20 years or so. So, uh, Well, that's your, your your time horizon is wrong, but otherwise you have a pretty good description of being a top of a, of a studio, Richard, I think. I don't yeah, know. I'm also willing to, if there's a CEO out there, who wants to bring in somebody to make the hard choices and then and then fire him for all those terrible choices and pay me some millions to not work? I see. Uh, I'm I'm open to an offer like that too. All right. Well, you can set your lunch to figure out those terms. But uh, we're, of course, talking about the report that broke late yesterday afternoon. We're recording here on Thursday, but uh, from Sarah Fisher over at Axios. Reporting that Zaz and Backish had a high T up there in the Paramount headquarters in New York to simply talk about, you know, what a deal might look like, it seemed, at preliminary discussions. Uh, they, Claire, why don't these guys go to like a Buffalo Wild Wings or something? And wait, I don't understand <laughs> this point. What? <laughs> Even I, I don't get it in that sense of like, just, you know, maybe do this somewhere else, Claire. Go to Jersey. Go to, go to Hoboken. Yeah. Hang out. I don't know. I've actually had lunch with David in some pretty casual places. I don't think he's only has. What? How, how casual? Like a cat's deli kind of a place. Oh, not okay. TGI yeah. Fridays or. No, or, uh, yeah. we didn't do fast food. 
No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, just just a thought. But, but let me ask you, Claire. Two weeks ago, the world lost its mind over the revelation that David Ellison was about to buy Paramount. And one week ago, they lost their mind over the revelation that Jeff Zucker was about to buy Paramount. And now, why are we losing our mind over the revelation that David Zasloff is about to buy Paramount? Well, you know, it would be another transformational deal on the back of a transformational deal on the back of, you know, acquiring Time Warner. It, it would, is, but but why do we think that this is anything more than two people talking. had a conversation and one of them rushed to make sure the world knew they had that conversation? I think you just hit the nail on the head. There's a reason why Axios reported it. Sarah works at CNN. She's obviously got a great inside track here to what's going on. It seems like maybe they wanted the world to know that they're talking. Uh, maybe that came from the Shari side. Maybe they're trying to gin up an auction. It feels to me like all these rumors are about ginning up interest in in Paramount and national amusements and creating some kind of auction. And, you know, the fact that David felt like he needed to go and have a talk with, with Bob Backish at this stage says the, you know, things are off and running to me, that the horse is bolted and we'll see some action soon. Yeah, something, it's, like, it's in play. Like, I think that's clear that, you know, who yes. knows, yeah, where this is going to go, how what's this going to look like? Does this involve national amusements? Does it involve Paramount? You know, there's so many caveats here, but the overall goal here is to be like, hey, if you want in, you better start talking to us now, yeah. I think. Maybe, and sometimes that... you want to know what Wall Street is going to do with <laughs> right. how they're going to chew down on something like this. And maybe that yeah. this is a trial balloon and we're seeing yeah. that they don't like it. The stocks, last time I looked, maybe an hour ago, both stocks are down. I think Warner was off to. Uh, percent paramount's yeah. off two percent kind of flat i mean it's like no they're just it seemed like a shrug sort of yes. i mean i mean yeah. the investors are probably wondering why do you want to buy more cable channels and right. that has always been the knock on paramount you know les moonves back in the day had cbs and said i don't want to be in the cable channel business they kind of missed the boat and then he spun it as we don't need that. We're going to go straight to online businesses, and they bought at CNET. And so, you know, the big question is why double down on more cable channels? It's a industry in decline, uh, and and Discovery has a whole bunch of them, and so does NBC. And the question is, what are they going to do with them all? Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what. Paramount Global's most interesting assets are, right? I mean, obviously, there's Paramount Pictures, a storied movie studio. And, you know, we talked a little bit yesterday in our story, Claire, about the NFL. But Paramount Plus as a streamer? I mean, it's, it's, is that something that anybody's really hankering for? Yeah, I've got some numbers here that I think are, are really intriguing. And they were put together by Michael J. Wolf, a consultant. And it is, you know, the total number of subscribers for all these services, whether they are ad supported or free or paid. And top of the list is Amazon Prime. Next is Netflix. Third is Tubi. Fourth is Roku. And then you have Hulu, Disney, Pluto, Max, Paramount which kind of puts it into a very different perspective about who's big and who isn't. And the way the business is going is, you know, ad-supported is the next big thing. That's the hope that, you know, the next narrative for Wall Street is that all these ad dollars are going to flow into these previously paid subscriber services. And so you put together the Plutos and the Maxes and, you know, the Paramount Plus with Showtime and, what do you get? You hopefully get something that gets to the same scale as the Netflixes and the Amazons. And can they catch them is the question. It feels to me like they need to do these 
huge acquisitions or else the tech guys are just going to run away with the show. The tech guys don't want these networks either. I mean, you know, it's nobody, they, they own these things that no one wants. I mean, look, uh, we'll get to a little bit later on, but, uh, you know, Iger famously in July was putting the, his own test balloon about the, you know, TV's on a core asset. And it, from all accounts, he didn't get too much positive feedback on that being like, we well, you know what we're going to keep, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, because you know what? Everybody came in and told you this is three or four years too late. And now, you you know, th that's it. There's nothing else you can do here. You can't reinvigorate interest in the cable bundle. And I broke, broke it on the wake up this morning, but it's Warner Bros. Discovery, 45% of their revenue in Q3 was from the cable bundle. Paramount was over 53%, I believe. That's the core of these companies. That's the core of what these companies are. And, you know, so combining yeah. them both, Claire, it's like, all right, now you have more of a, of, of a business that is in secular decline. Okay, yeah. I guess it's like combining newspapers in the, you know, in 2012. It's like, all right, I guess so, but it's not a solve. I mean, the big question is, did everybody just strip mine their legacy assets <laughs> and put all the best yes. stuff on streaming? Yes, is the answer, whatever and your question is going to, yes. Yeah, like I talked to an advertiser who said to me, we'd like to see the best shows on streaming move back to broadcast and cable and have the kind of system that we had before where you would see Modern Family touch every network out there. And everybody would have a piece of the value chain when you had a big hit. And right. so, you know, could we see them deciding that maybe we put the best shows back on or in the second well, window back on cable and broadcast? Well, that's the thing in, in any company, though. They always think, oh, we will do all these different things. We'll put the best things out front, but we'll put the other best things over here. And it's that's never the way it way it works, especially if you don't have a clear sense of like what your different audiences are and who the different people are. You have a favored child, and then you have the ugly children, and the favored child gets the best of everything, and that's just always the way it's going to work in a company. Yeah, and there's always this. No, I mean, the, these companies are built on Windows. So what we're talking about here is players is Windows, and they forgot this for a good five or six years, and they brought it all back in house, and they had a you know a forty plus year tradition of reselling this stuff multiple times, and they said, nope, we're going to put it all in the service and not sell it to anyone. And no one batted an eye that like, hey, you guys know that's what you guys are built on, right? And now everybody's like, oh, right, that was a good business, wasn't it? And now we're all, you know, it's like, yeah, everything's old as new again. So, yeah. you know, uh, libraries matter, uh, you know, Claire. So putting more, I mean, just Warner Brothers has a massive library already. So adding in Paramount, sure, I guess it ups your volume. But again, it's not like it's a game changer for what, what they're doing. So, and we're seeing back to your streaming question, we're seeing shows go from streaming to network. I mean, you have Only Murders in the Building is premiering on ABC, in January, we just have Yellowstone is still pulling in 4.5 million people a week on on Sunday nights on CBS. I think it's putting to your, to your point. Yeah, why don't we put this stuff that you just paid for that maybe nobody people watched or didn't watch as much and get more money out of it? Another window, you know, this yeah. value, Claire. I, th I think basically consumers have a problem in trying to <laughs> find this stuff. Well, famously, yeah. There's a problem in that the streamers aren't really that distinguished. And when everybody is selling their shows back to everybody else it just feels commoditized and it feels like there's a big problem. Consumers don't know where to find stuff. They don't want to have to sit there and make too many choices at the end of the day. And, you know, maybe three or four subscription services is enough. Right. And right. who are they going to be? <laughs> well, there, there we go. But you, you also talked to someone, the uh, music business had a similar you know situation. Now there's what? There's three labels, right? And all yes. the music is across all three platforms. And it's like, all right, TV's not a great comp for that, but... 
you're not far off when all of HBO, or a lot of HBO is on Netflix and a lot of Disney is now on, you know, it's like you can find the same area, then the point yeah. of differentiation becomes, you know, yeah. interesting. And then when you, you know, obviously the, the antitrust aspect of these right, mergers right. is worth having a discussion about because when these folks get together, there's less competition, whether it you are a, a writer in Hollywood or you're an advertiser thinking about where to put your ad dollars or you're a movie exhibitor trying to negotiate a good deal. Right. You have more leverage if you're David, if you own a bigger company. Yep. If you own yep. all the toys, you have more leverage. <laughs> Will the FCC and the FTC and the DOJ look kindly on this kind of get together? That's the question. Yeah. I'll tell see. you what one showrunner texted me yesterday, which was simply, remember when America actually enforced its antitrust laws? And it wasn't the only person who brought up these corporations that are getting larger and larger. And like looking out past this, it's sort of like, okay, once once Paramount is acquired by somebody else or merged with somebody else, like what is there even left? Like what's the M&A landscape look like after that among the majors? Well, that leads you down with about five five studios. So it's like, all right, what, get unclear. What is that number? You know, it's like, all right, it's not seven, like, but is it four? Is it, you know, no, no one really knows, yeah. right? I mean, I, I actually do think it's a necessity to combine. I think big media has to get as big as possible or else they won't be able to fight off the Amazons, the Netflix, the Apples. It's going to be too tough. They have huge pockets. They can bid what they want. They're starting to show the likes of the NFL that they can air Thursday night football and it works and it's stable. Netflix is about to start doing that with tennis and some other things to demonstrate to the leagues that they have the technical capacity to do that. Mm. So I think it's a necessity. The industry is changing beyond recognition. And, you know, I think we're likely to see Brian Roberts do something too. If I can just point out the angle that nobody is talking about that this deal actually does make a lot of sense is that David Zaslav, uh, of course, famously has bought Robert Evans' home. So now if he buys his office as well, he will have the complete <laughs> Robert Evans set and uh, monopoly <laughs> control of the Robert Evans. He's a completist. So, He's a completist. <laughs> So on that level, it makes a lot of sense, I think. Mm. There you go. But, but on that note, I mean, let's talk about where some of their strengths would lie in a combined entity, right? I mean, like on the news front alone, that would be pretty enormous if you combine, if you have a combination of CNN and CBS News in the same house, you mm. know, what else is there? I mean, like, what is what does a combined like sports rights situation look like in, with that? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I ran this through this in, in the wake of this morning, but, you know, the NBCU was thought to be the real, you know, leader for Paramount. I'm like, there's a lot, of, a lot of conflicts there where, you know, there are a lot of complementary things with WBD. There is no uh, network. They don't own NBC. There's no, you know, so that's easy. They, they have no local station group. NBC owns stations in all the cities that CBS owns stations. That's a whole other business you'd have to resolve. Mm -hmm. Claire, back to the feds. It's like, yeah, that's a big question. Who wants to buy CBS? I mean, Apple's not buying it. Like, you know, like, okay, so how do you lay that off? The sports things are not complimentary at NBCU. They're both in the NFL. They're both in golf. These are things, the, the sports have zero conflicts at at uh, WBD, and they have a new BR sports tier that they're looking to sell year round and get people to pay $10 a month for. So that makes some sense there. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. At, I mean, the studio is the main thing, and who knows what that might be. Does, you know, does Netflix buy yeah. the studio? Does Skydance come in for the studio? Do you dice it up? You know, it's a lot of questions. It's, it's all theoretical. It's all for Sherry and, and Bob to figure out, and we, we'll see where it goes. But Yeah, uh, I mean, the broadcast network thing's an interesting topic because they sold that piece of the broadcast network, right? They owned a piece of CW, and they sold it. 
Uh, right, it gets you on account. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they're completely out of that. Completely so they got out of that. 10% or whatever it is. They have. Yeah, but I yeah. do think when you look at, you know, what are the top shows on TV these days, it's NFL top to bottom. What are the most sure. expensive shows advertisers want to put their ads around? It's NFL. And so if you're Warner Brothers Discovery and you, you're looking for scale in advertising, you're looking for the, to- the best crown jewels of the business, owning CBS having the NFL rights is a really good addition. And if you're chasing the NBA, maybe owning a big broadcast network is a, another plus. It's, uh, it's not bad in putting the mix there for sure. And, and it's worth noting, Paramount does reportedly have a $2 billion check to the NFL this year, Claire. But that's, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> NFL is great, but it ain't free. So, you know, uh, it Very does come with, with a big price tag to, uh, to lay off. So we shall see. But we'll shift down to Richard. First, thanks for mentioning Cinemax as the future of all of this, these, both of these companies. Uh, as a proud, <laughs> proud former Cinemax original series, you know, brand part of the brand department there. Thank you for recognizing Max as the future of the business. We appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, that's the great uh, accomplishment for this year of all the different brands there, HBO, Warners, all the different divisions that could have, TBS, Turner, all the things that that could have been elevated to uh, lead it. We're in the Cinemax universe now. Exactly. So there you go. Thanks for the shout out. So what's the highlight? Give me a shout What's stood up in assembling your Ankler 100? What, uh, what's top of mind for you? What's top of mind to me, going, going through all 100 of the worst things to happen this year and, you know, another 100 runner-ups that I, I poured through also is uh, it's a re- it was a really grim year. Right? It's a, <laughs> was a, it, when, I, when I was done with it, I was just like, oh. Geez, it's not a good read all in, at one time at one sitting. That's bad. I mean, Come and take a look and purge yourself of everything. But between the layoffs and the confusion and the cutbacks and the strike and the acrimony and the the just the general sense of like hopelessness and does anyone know what they're doing here? And you know, amidst all this, you still have like I, I mean, I must have fifteen different people there who were fired for terrible behavior in various places that, you know, it still persists. And it was a really tough year. And uh, the strike is the big thing that loomed over it all. It's funny when I, I to write it, I reread a year of the wake up. To, to, <laughs> don't don't uh, do that. That guy's um, always talking about. Yeah, no, it was good. It, the, <laughs> the, the best way to get the news of the day and the best uh, record. Way to, to relive it. Yeah. You have, you know, coming up to it, you have confusion and layoffs and hard time, but you still have deals going on and things are happening and there's festivals and there's whatever the, the premieres and the life of a entertainment industry. And then it just stops dead. And it's just, <laughs> there's like no news for six months. And it's, uh, except talking about this one topic over and over and over in a thousand different ways. So it, it was a really tough year and come check out my piece and relive the fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very thorough. We have uh, part one already out. Part two is dropping momentarily, I believe, Richard. So that'll be there for your for weekend reading. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Take it, print it out, and uh, read enjoy it, the it by the pool. By, yeah, <laughs> by the pool. Nice. Or by the. Yeah, I guess like. it's pouring here as we record this. So. Oh, by the okay. fire. By the fireside. The fireside is probably good. Burning the list after reading is probably uh, very thematic. So recommend that. You go check that out. Of course. Over at theankler.com. Coming up next, similar theme, but a grander scale. It's the most blunderful time of the year. Richard's favorite time of year. We'll get into that award. We'll be back with that in a moment. (music) 
All right. It's the time of year that Richard Brushfield is the, the mascot for, I think, the uh, most blunderful time of the year. Not because you have blunders, Richard, just because you enjoy them, I think. That would just for clarity there. So, I, you know. Any Anytime we get to celebrate people and, uh, and feel good about what we all do, that's what I'm about. These are accomplishments, and they're, they're just different kinds of accomplishments. That's all. So, Elaine, do we give WBD its own category? How do we work this here? Oh, I thought we were giving Elon his own category. <laughs> Elon, Elon has his own trophy in his own uh, home, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no need to even, yeah, where do you start and where do you end there? I, that's its own <laughs> podcast. But yeah, I was just doing the, the preparing for this. And I just was writing it. I'm like, all right, this is his own. I, these guys have to be in their own cat. There's just too many things on here that I'm like, we can't have. It's like when you have like like four actors from the same movie and one actor from another movie and like in an awards race where it's like, well, this is going to split the vote four ways and then the other person's going to win. You know, the math there doesn't work out, Elaine. Yeah, I mean, well, when we're talking about Warners, what what were you head of top of mind, Sean? Are you thinking The Flash, which was uh, which I had projected to win the summer? <laughs> I did not mention that, Elaine. You brought for the record, Elaine brought that up herself. So like I, just, that's I am fine. accountable for my own mistakes. Cin- Cinemacon, <laughs> you fit just really the the wonder and the the sugar. In the air just clouded the vision there, Elaine. So, Richard, what do you think? Is that a fair way to look at this? Yeah, I would say so. They, uh, it's a, it was a uh, quite a year for them, I'd say. Yeah, I just reel off a few things. So we have Zaslav and TCM was a <laughs> a great. Uh, it's still probably ongoing somewhere. That's going to come back again. It's probably in the 2024 list as well because that that issue is not going away from a business point of view. You had Zaz's rousing speech at Boston University, which uh, had plenty of fans. David Zaslav and Graydon Carter at Con. Richard, a party you were not invited to, I heard for some reason, but. That was un- unfortunate. Some optics there that people were not were having some fun with, I guess. I don't think word has gotten out that I'm available for free food here. Well, maybe you can go to that. Well, isn't someone designing a new cafeteria or something? Wasn't that part of the mix of this? Uh, Graydon Carter is, is redesigning the Warner's cafeteria. He, he had been engaged. I don't know if he's, he's oh. still, <laughs> still planning to do it. but Still waiting on that? Okay. And as a studio mm-hmm. food influencer, have you been invited, Richard? You should be the ribbon cutting for that, Richard. I mean, right? come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's also Warner Brothers pulling that GQ story that no one would have probably paid attention to anyway until we heard it wasn't going to be there anymore. We had certainly Casey Bloys on on Twitter was just more of a probably a, a laugh at this point, but uh, that certainly was a, a blunder that was there. And Claire, where do we start on CNN? Where do we go? What, is it Chris like at the gym? Is it, what do we... Uh, yeah, what do we... I mean, obviously... The biggest blunder for me is the Donald Trump town hall. Or the town hall, right, yeah. You know, you could understand the impulse to have Donald Trump on air at a point in time when ratings are lagging and you need a boost. And, you know, people tune in. He says crazy things and people like to be outraged. But Chris's mistake was allowing Donald Trump to speak in front of an audience who were all fans. And I think that's what outraged CNN loyalists, the talent at CNN. I think Caitlin Collins did an incredible job of trying to hold Donald Trump to account, but a very difficult job when everybody is booing at you in the audience and clapping Donald Trump. So that to yeah. me is like the the worst of the worst. Yeah. But also, I mean, you know, allowing access from to a journalist in your first Remember six, eight months, whatever yes. it was, that decision yes. probably won't be repeated. I say that, but it probably will be at some point. We'll be here two, two or three years from now with someone else having a profile that just gets them out of a job. But 
Yeah. If you're Mark Thompson, you're going to stay away from the media. And if you're going to do any, you're going to do it with the New York Times, right? (laughs) Former employees. I hate to argue against myself, but (laughs) when does it ever do an executive good to have a profile of them? And the really, I mean, Robert Iger doesn't sit for profiles. I don't know. Does Tim Cook sit for profiles? I don't know. I don't. I mean, it's also the publication you probably choose. Especially when you're early in your reign, your your achievements, even if you're the greatest uh, executive that ever lived, your achievements are all ahead in the future. And you're supposed to be the executive. You're supposed to be giving the, letting the talent take the credit. I mean, I guess his press was so relentlessly negative. Right. And the suspicion is that it was fed by a former CNN chief. And so my guess is that Chris Licht is like, I got to get somebody to write my side of the story. Yeah. And obviously that did not turn out well. You know, but the, the thing that succeeds in the end is success yes. and not people watching you work out or people watching you uh, celebrate your your triumph. Like, again, I'll point Iger, when you own half the box office, people are going to say good things about you. If everything you do kind of turns into a disaster, letting people get an inside look at you and what's going on with you and, and how you really love news and breathe news. Like, it's like, great, you're a terrific guy. You're, everything you do is a disaster still, so... Yeah, I, I do think Chris Licht was in a no-win situation from the get-go. He had to go in there, lay off tons of people. Everybody loved Jeff Zucker at CNN. He made them rich and famous. They were very loyal to him. Chris comes in. He has to do a clean-out, has to shut down CNN+. Plus. People are automatically against you at that point. Was he qualified to do the job? To me, you know, he was missing a lot of the bits that you needed, and, uh, you know, maybe tried his best under the absolute worst of circumstances. I mean, the one thing, reading it from afar, from here in Hollywood, the cult of Jeff Zucker comprised of people who he, you know, added a zero to their salaries and thus consider him an inspirational leader. You don't have a lot of people popping up from his universal days saying, oh, my God, how are we getting by without him? We're praying for his return 15 years later. That's not what you hear from people here in Hollywood who worked with him, but nothing like giving journalists a great big salary. Yeah, there's not many people doing that. I applaud that. Yeah. Really <laughs> make you we are all for that here. <laughs> yeah. Any, any visionary who wants to, who has the vision to, to think I should be given a lot Jeff. more money. Uh, is, uh, Call the uh, IMI fund, everybody. Here we go. Yeah, for <laughs> podcast investment. But it is interesting. We talked earlier about, of course, Zaslav and Backish, but two executives with very different styles. You do not have Bob Backish is not inviting any journalist to sit along on the process of, you know, unloading Paramount. And you hear very little about Bob Backish. I think he, he just fine with just fine with it that way. So, Claire, to your point about seeing how different personality, you know, the personalities of these leaders varies and to varying success. And you know, Richard, let the, let the work speak for itself. You know, yeah, there's something old-fashioned to that a little bit. I think Bob is a different kind of CEO because Shari Redstone is also kind of the CEO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's the controlling shareholder. She's the person in charge, ultimately. Uh, ultimately, yeah. But she's also not someone who's out there, you know, courting the press. Brian Roberts and Mike Cavanaugh could walk into the polo lounge <laughs> and they'd be lucky to get a table. <laughs> yeah. They eat in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, that's true. It's varying degrees of success. So when you put yourself out there, you make the most blunderful time of year award uh, list, certainly. So I don't know. Elsewhere on a list of Lane, we're looking, of course, at things like Bob Iger and uh, Sun Valley is a big one, right, Elaine? It's funny that you mentioned that, talking about Backish and 
right. uh, Kavanaugh. Yeah, right. I was thinking, yeah, you know, there actually hasn't been anything wrong with keeping a low profile this year. If you're a big media mogul, it's kept you out of the press, especially when you have 11,500 writers and 160,000 actors out on the streets picketing with your face on signs. doesn't help to be Bob Iger sitting at billionaire summer camp saying that what they're picketing for is, what was the word, unrealistic, which then somehow got transformed, I think, into unreasonable, which is the word that everybody heard and interpreted. Mm. And that carried the strike momentum a long way, I got to tell you. That was mid-July, I think. So that was pretty much yeah. right at the start of the, of the SAG strike. So yeah, that put another six weeks before they even got to the, you know, into the table there, I think, for the, with the writers. Yeah, that was a tactical error, a real, you know, suboptimal diplomacy move there, I think. And just a head scratcher. And Richard, I think you mentioned this in your, in your 100 list, but just, you know, the comms haven't quite been a bit as smooth as they used to be in the Iger 1.0 era, in the 2.0 era, Richard. The Zanyamuka era. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they should have known. I mean, Ted knew. Uh, right. Yeah. Do not speak on camera about the strike. Keep my face away from this. But being allowed to wander off and sort of muse about these darn strikers there, that was a big mistake. And, you know, a lot a lot of these mistakes are really sort of optical more than big Practical. strategic errors. Mm-hmm. The company, uh, right. You right. know, like the can did or right. all these things. But it is a, a time of too many executives thinking that they are the stars and too many of them falling for the lights of Hollywood and wanting to put themselves uh, in the front and not realizing that if you are running an entertainment company, your job is to hold the spotlight and shine it on your stars and your talent and make them want to work for you because you're the place where talent is appreciated. Not to say like, oh, I can't wait to work with this exciting, inspirational executive. Well, I do love the big showbiz CEOs. However, yeah, it's part of the fun. I think we need big, interesting people. Do you know? In these companies. Claire is very like, I love mess. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes I for a good story. Think, you know, it gives us stuff to write about. It gives people something to talk about. If everyone was Mike Cavanaugh, I would put us out of business here. <laughs> exactly. Part of the history is the colorful personalities, Claire. Exactly right. Absolutely. This isn't the uh, insurance business. ABC back in the day was a big, huge, colorful character. Tom Rothman saved the ankler and it's early years. If I didn't have him to write about, uh, we, we, we would have been <laughs> shot out for Tom. Would have been doomed. Uh, All right. Well, another executive on this list who didn't hear too much about was Jeff Shell, but Shell Shock was a big one from Q2 this year, which still kind of has some question marks as to I don't know. I you know I guess it's just it's, it's pretty much seems to be what was on the tin in that don't have affairs with your CNBC anchors. I, you know, I, and you, you're not going to stay around. I mean, there's a lot of questions about how that got out there or things like that. But, you know, her contract, I believe, was up for renewal and that was part of the situation. So a bit of a head scratcher. And he's, of course, then come, rumored to come back on the Gilbert Redbird to, you know, maybe oversee the, the entertainment business over there, Claire. But certainly a gaffe and self-inflicted, seemingly. It was very shocking when I read that he was leaving. I think we all were. NBC and Comcast are known for very smooth transitions and no drama. Right. And boom, he was out and, you know, the emails were out there. Yeah, right. And wasn't replaced. And when you talk about people who weren't looking for the limelight, 
Right. They, he uh, was not someone. Yeah. He yeah. Never was. I mean, I think they they'd started putting him on shows just a tiny bit, just like like CNBC. He was on, but like that. Exactly. Barely, but yeah. barely. And just right, right. Just in the months before that, he was the most buttoned down, low profile people. So that's why you just did not yeah. see that coming in this case. There was a lot of rumors before he stepped down that he was going to be gone. And there were conversations happening about who was going to get what underneath him. And I couldn't wrap my head around it and I couldn't nail it as a story. And so then when I saw that he was gone, but it was for a transgression, that was the surprise, I guess. And then, you know, you had Linda Yaccarino leaving on the heels of that. So you have the CEO right. and the top ad salesperson at NBCU out within weeks of each other. That was kind of cataclysmic, I think. Yeah, yeah. Linda certainly trusting Elon to keep it quiet, and the, the upfronts was probably Never another a good idea. another uh, another <laughs> blunder yeah. of sorts to keep a secret. So she was uh, was the day before, two days before, Claire. That you know this news came out right before she was. I shut think it was the night they were preparing the upfront presentation. Yeah. yeah. So that's if anybody has ever been to an upfront, that's a page one rewrite for a lot of people yes. that night. And then the, certainly the, the code conference too, uh, Claire. Yes. Linda went to the code conference. Julia Boston had a conversation with her. The previous guest had lobbed some accusations against X. And Linda, by all accounts, didn't handle the answers very well, was super defensive, and wasn't able to answer some basic questions about X's numbers, if I recall correctly. And she got lambasted. And, you know, it kind of made me think when you are in a big media corporation, there's lots of handlers to protect you from the media. You know, obviously there's a lot of negative feeling about Elon and an X among journalists who have largely disappeared from the platform. And so Linda had a pretty negative audience. And then you have Elon a few months later in November at Andrew Ross Sorkin's DealBook conference, basically <laughs> right. telling all Linda's clients, we don't want you. If you don't want to be next to our stuff, then we don't want you. That's you a very uh, PG-rated version. Than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that that was Keeping exactly it clean. But, uh, yeah, it's the holidays. So thank you. Appreciate it for the holiday episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, you know, Elaine is one of those things where in the room that just, I mean, everybody who was in that, in that room was just like, just even the, t you know, the tone matters so much, even back with the mm -hmm. Iger comments, it's not even necessarily what you're saying, but just how you're coming across to people that was, a, and fell in that category of like, this woman is not, you know, not speaking in the way that we would expect a, a leader of a, you know, of a company to speak, I think was part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's an irony in leading a media company and having a communications gaffe of your own when having something translated <laughs> right. into the media. And I mean, it's tough, right? Because something sometimes uh, sure, something sure. plays in the room and it doesn't play when you see right. the recording of it. Right. When you right. see the big blaring print headline that takes your three or four words in a certain context. Those I are the ones it. you chose? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. I mean, in the case of, you know, Claire, what you were saying with Elon uh, telling advertisers he well, doesn't want them. Well, that was an easy Yeah, that was an yeah, easy pull. That was a <laughs> Easy no pull quote, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. Easy pull quote, yeah. 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 But even uh, laying this year, Netflix was not immune to a gaffe. Certainly a bit of a, they, they call it gremlins or something in the, in the tech or something like that. But uh, the inability to go live with Love is Blind back in, uh, I think it was March, right. I believe, March uh, or April. It seems so long ago now. 
when they tried to stream the Love is live, Blind live reunion yep. and yep. didn't quite come together. And I and I know everybody sort of saw this as a, as a test case for them. They were sort of dipping their toe in the live space as they, again, yep. have been a little bit with sports as well. And for a platform that large with, you know, over 220 million viewers, that's a that's a big test. That's a big spotlight to step into. Didn't happen at the time. I think they got it on their second try, right? Later, though. Later, like the day after It was not like an hour later. It was a, you know, again. It was like a full, like, day or two. It was a full, this is not happening. Like, you know, and this was just, you know, they did. They had done Chris Rock at that point. So that was the first, mm-hmm. the first big test that did work fine, according to all, all accounts. And then this came in, it was like, you know, so. Or something with that big of an audience. Yeah, they're, yeah. all eyes were on them for this. But, yeah, you know, so. the thing about Netflix is I feel like things just roll off their back. It's like, oh, now, yeah, how many people and, are talking about yeah. that now? And how many people would have less of a confidence in their live capabilities now. I mean, just last week we were talking about their next live thing coming up, right? The the Netflix slam, their big tennis thing in right. March. So that'll be their next big test, I guess, in, in terms yeah. of live sports. And especially with carrying a live sport. Yeah, it's one of those things where they're like, nah, we're not going to do it, but we're just going to do this one-off live sport. And I really do wonder what like the three to five year roadmap is for dipping your toes in the live sports waters. Yeah, and their Netflix Cup, their golf racing event, as Richard loves to call it, uh, went mm-hmm. went off fine after that. So certainly, yeah. whatever whatever gremlins were in the in the tech got resolved between then and, and the fall. But as you said, it's a moment that didn't change the business, and we're all moving on. But just something that's like, oh, like if this is like if this is HBO Max, I don't. No offense, you know, sorry, HBO Max. I don't think I've been like, oh my god, the tech didn't work. Like you know, uh, okay, you've had a lot of issues before in the past where Netflix is known as you know the product always works, and this was the one time that it just didn't uh, at all. But uh, they anyway. set the bar for themselves. They did. It's their own fault, Elaine. In the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Richard will we'll finish off with uh, Maha over at CAA, which just, you know, at this point, I guess, is she still there, Richard? So. Yeah. She had to step down from a largely uh, ceremonial group that she was had the title, the head of. You know, for me, I, I always have to start this. I'm strongly pro-Israel. As a Jewish American, I strongly support their right to defend themselves, all that. She posted one sentence on Instagram that she quickly, within an hour, admitted had been dumb and not and ill thought through and said she was, by her account, she was in a particular bubble and was parroting what she was hearing in her bubble. When the other meanings of it were brought to her attention, she took it down immediately and she apologized. And, you know, I wrote about this, I just think, there needs to be room for people to make mistakes and apologize. And it quickly became just another one of these things where everybody, everyone in Hollywood is calling for this person to be killed because they said something stupid. And I, I recognize the irony that, that many of my Jewish friends feel about when every other group is, is offended, they get to call for the death of whoever said it, and we don't. But that said... We need to have greater tolerance. Be, uh, I think Scott Galloway said it, be slower to anger and quicker to forgive. And that was the meaning of this. So I'm not giving her any uh, blunder award here, although it was uh, not the period she'd want to repeat. There you go. Well, I think that's a nice note to end the most blunderful time of the year conversation. You come to me for the heartfelt feel good. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> 
It was in my notes, Richard. It was in my notes for the podcast. I said, make sure we end with Richard for a positive note. So this is, yeah. you, you fulfilled it 100%. Richard has to go take his family to Wally World, I think, because that's next <laughs> that's on right. the agenda, Richard. So we will bid you adieu and we will see you in 2024, sir. Thank you very much. See you soon, guys. All right. Up next, Claire is going to dive into our studio report card for 2023. We'll be right back after a quick break. All right, we are back, and Claire is chiming in here with her studio scorecard for 2023. She's looked at all the classes who did best in chemistry and physics and gym and see who did the best here for the for the total grades for 2023. We've discussed uh, Warners and Paramount a bit, so we'll, we'll leave a little bit of mystery there. You can go find out what grades Claire put on those two in the piece. But uh, I want to start with Disney, which we haven't dove in too much outside of the Iger Sun Valley situation. So what's, uh, what's your take here on Disney? Wow, what a year. Poor Bob Iger. I mean, it's just problem on problem. He's trying to remake the company. He's got Value Act and Triam Partners, two activist investors on his back. One of them of which has brought back Jay Rusulo, the former CFO, to back him up. Ike Perlmutter, one of the largest shareholders, is out there trying to get revenge on Bob. You have Bob starting the year, laying off 7,000 people ending the year, increasing the uh, number of cost cuts that are going to have to happen inside the company by another $2 billion. The animation has got weaker. The movies, Marvel, not doing so well. You have Ron DeSantis still out there in the legal case over, over Don't Say Gay. You have Bob acknowledging that maybe the, the movies have too many messages in them and that Perhaps, you know, the right wing, go woke, go broke anthem maybe had some effect on Disney. So I, I think it's been a crazy year. And most of the people that I spoke to for the piece had the impression that, yes, there were all these problems, but there was a lot of kind of stuff they didn't expect. That, yes, Disney was going to have a hard year, but there were a lot of surprises on the on the negative side that they had not expected. I should add that Disney is on the upside a beneficiary of people's desire to go out and enjoy themselves and yes, the go back parks. to the theme parks. The theme parks is a highlight. Uh, Bob is putting more money behind the, the theme parks, 60 billion, I think, over 10 years. And so, you know, that's one aspect of the company that seems to be doing very, very well indeed. But it's been a horrendous year. Yeah, I mean, you know, the movies really stand out. I mean, I've written about this a lot in The Wake Up, and um, you know, the movie business is, is certainly dear to my heart. But just, I mean, running through the list, it's just like, and the, oh, the spending, which, you know, he's he's acknowledged this, Claire, of course, and all the earnings calls and this, you know, these decisions were largely the way that the movies work under the previous regime and under Chapek to a degree. But just just baffling, uh, you know, how much the money this the, the film's division lost this year is it's crazy. You know, been middling, how do you solve Marvel, which was the real, you know, engine of that company for the past arguably 15 years. And that engine is, is a big question mark over it. And look, he's cleared the slates for 2024. Clearly, he is diving in. He is doing everything he's, you know, said and like, okay, that they've, yep, all right, we're coming back in 2025 outside of Deadpool, more or less. And uh, what do you do there in the future? So... Question yeah, but 2024 sure. is almost a little bit of a, a wash already, right? Yeah, that's it's going to be, you know, I said it's a lot of Disney Fox titles in there. So we'll see. He has the you know ESPN now broken out publicly as well. And, that, and what to do with that is certainly a, a big thing on the horizon. 
uh, certainly Succession is still out there. Obviously, he, he made the decision this year to stay on through 2026. That was something else that he made this year. So he's, that decision was made. Can you imagine if it was a year till Succession at this point, Claire, in the old plan? Yeah, I mean, these activists want to see a Succession plan in place. And yeah. Bob's been back, what, more than a year now? There's no such plan in place as far as we know. Uh, we did see the guys from Candle come back. Uh, they are potential... <laughs> Previous potential CEO right, of Disney right. who... Um, Sags and Mayer, yep. Right. How many contract extensions have we seen from Iger? Is it four? Is it, are we on five? I feel like it's at least four. I think we're on four. Yeah. Yeah. It's at least four. You could tell me. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know the Igerism. I don't you know the, the history there. I'm not as versed on. But yeah, certainly uh, the extension. But this time, this time he means it, Claire. So, you know, well, we're you can imagine on. Bob wants to go out on a high and yes. he will have done the work. If Disney can turn it around in the next two years, he will have absolutely deserved to, to go out with his head held high if he can turn this thing around. Yeah, he's got uh, essentially three, three years here to, to make it all happen. Also, a looming NBA deal to sort out in, uh, next year, exclusive uh, negotiating period ending in the in second quarter, I believe. So a lot on the horizon. Streaming will become profitable next year, uh, Claire. There are some, you know, uh, 2023 for everybody was a bad year, just was a particularly bad year for Disney. But 2024 might have some narrative changing events where Iger can really yeah. make his stamp. And it's not just cut, cut, cut and layoff, layoff, layoff. Now it's like, what are you building, Build. you know? Right, rebuilding. And what, are you re- what are you rebuilding? Exactly. I mean, all the analysts are going to be waiting, right? What What There's, are we going to see? Where's yeah. the money? Where's the black ink? We had enough of the red ink. Yeah, And exactly. from what I recall, Disney Plus projecting profitability in 24, that's a little earlier than I think some of their peers had projected profitability, right, in the streaming space. I mean, because right now it's really only Netflix that's largely profitable Warner's out of all of them. Well, Warner's is, yeah, largely profitable, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Warner's is, has crossed that, that mark. We saw good glimmers, yeah, from Warner's this year. But, but Paramount and Peacock still have no have no stated horizon for, for profitability. So then we'll see what happens with Paramount Plus, of course. But yeah, TBD on that, then we'll see. But obviously, very middling grade from you, Claire C, which is probably, I'm not going to say generous, but certainly accurate, to say the least. It was the bottom of the pack, according to everybody I spoke to. Okay, that was the lowest grade that I think you gave in this piece. So, yeah. But another person, another company thriving in theme parks is Comcast or NBC Universal. So, yes. what's your take there? Well, they're insulated because lots of the other businesses are doing well. Theme parks, they have the cable business, broadband, obviously. They have a mobile phone network, they have business services. So, really, NBCU is the only place they would argue that, you know, has that kind of black hole of the cable channels in decline. They've got the Olympics coming up, the Paris Olympics, which will be lots of fun for everybody. And again, as we mentioned, Jeff Schell shipped out, Linda shipped out. It feels like they didn't really skip a beat after that. Mike Kavanaugh steps in. He's, you know, a longtime company man, former CFO. And what I'm hearing is that he is insisting on every project, whether you work in news or the studios, has to make money. Where's the revenue coming from? We can't just do things for the hell of it. So that's got everybody under pressure at 30 Rock. And, you know, they announced they had 30 million subscribers at Peacock. That's an improvement. Very far away from the top of the pack. Netflix with 247 million. Well, they are US only in their defense. That's right. That's right. But they're still so, losing hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter. I think it was over the three billion this year, close to the three or something like that for the year this right. year. So and again, and they have not three. not stated a profitability timeline for that mm. business, but they could, they, they always seem that they couldn't be happier with Peacock, which, you know, I love Peacock. Look, I like, I watch Peacock. I like Peacock, I but too. I'm like, 
back to your Mike's point, if you're looking at companies having to make profit, and if that's his company line, he's certainly not applying it to the streaming business. Yeah. Of course, they've got that big check. They relinquished ownership of Hulu. They've got at least $8 billion from Mr. Iger it's to play with. And could they yeah. buy Paramount? Could they be players? Possibly. Could they spin off NBCU into its own thing? Could they spin off Peacock into somebody else's streaming service? These are all possibilities. On the upside, the Oppenheimer was, you know, one of the best movies of the year. Look, Could they, they win an a, Oscar? Yeah. Maybe. Right. They had a four quadrant year. They had, you know, Megan, they had Super Mario, they had Oppenheimer, and they had Five Nights at Freddy's and, and the you know, so one one hit each quarter, which for any studio is a that's yeah. a you know, Donna had a great year and she uh Donna had kind a of great took control year. over the yes. the TV group as well. And that was a bit of a shift yep. in the that's that right. business, right? She got control so. over all of the content, which I think was necessary for them to identify who's in charge. I feel yes. like Peacock trying to figure out like who's actually doing what inside Peacock. It's a little bit of a matrix at NBCU. And I should say I used to work at the company. And, you know, I guess news is another another topic to talk about. Rashida is in charge, MSNBC. Who knows what will happen when, if and when Donald Trump becomes president again. Certainly lots for them to chew on. I have some tidbits in there you should read in the piece that I won't mm-hmm, call out on the mm-hmm. podcast. Please read it uh, <laughs> over the weekend when you get a chance. And... You know, one question will be, Linda did a lot of deals with X before she left. Will they still, those content partnerships still be in place as the Olympics rolls around? Will we see Olympics on X? Will folks overlook the all the mess and swirl of disinfo and, and the stuff that's there and say, you know what, there's an audience still, we'll overlook all the bad stuff and, and put the content there. Certainly folks still engage with TikTok despite the government bans and all the negativity there. So will Comcast put the Olympics on X? I think it's a question. All right. Well, we got about six months to figure out until we have the answer to that one. I'm going to skip over here to, to Netflix. What struck you about uh, here? Certainly a, a pr- rather positive yeah. year across the board. I don't, you know, but what are people telling you? Yeah, they came near the top. Not surprisingly, they came near the top. The Achilles heel, I would say, is that Folks expected the ad platform to be bigger at this point. They would argue, we're new to this game. We're just a year out of the gate here. Give us a break. But I think advertisers felt like it would be have more scale at this point. There'd be more there there. I think in comparison to its competitors, it's pretty small. And they use it to kind of, they, they buy it and say, we'll put an ad on Netflix, but we know it's not going to get that much viewership, but we'll pair it with something else to amplify it. So I think that was really kind of the only knock on them. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the sports front, whether they are bidders for bigger sports or whether they do something that is counter to conventional wisdom and they create their own sports events. I love this idea of having this tennis slam. I can't wait to watch it. I think it's really unique. And, you know, maybe Netflix goes off in a different direction and they just decide, well, we'll create these events ourselves. Quite a rebound from 2022 for Netflix, given that... In the spring of 22, we were looking at restructuring and layoffs at Netflix and just this massive hit to a company that had been doing well for so long, you know, experiencing its first subs loss in, I think, over a decade. So all in all, like great improvement this year from them, largely. Yeah, I was at a presentation with Magid, who are industry consultants last week, and they showed a chart about how much people want certain SVOD services. And they couldn't fit Netflix on the chart. They were so far ahead of everybody else in terms of, you know, popularity. People see Netflix as the number one service they can't live without in streaming. Yep. 
well, they have the largest penetration. You know, it's like you're the biggest by far of over 20 million in the U.S. and in Canada alone uh, on any other streaming service. So when you're distributed, you know, it's like being ESPN and being the NFL network. It's like, you know, uh, you're living in two different atmospheres in general in terms of just people being exposed to what you're doing, you know, yes. in that sense. So which is why they dominate the the Nielsen charts and so on and so forth. Because uh, when you have all the people watching you, you have more potential to break out the hits, which we've seen many times over this year uh, mm. properties that existed elsewhere finding new life on netflix i'm just gonna end up here on, on amazon but uh you know this they got the best scorer from you all right this was a they little did. bit of a surprise it is a surprise i think that amazon is in this position that every advertiser would want every tv partner to be in where you've got the data you run the ad you know who sees the ad mm, and okay. then they go off and buy your product it's the perfect flywheel and it's only going to get better because Amazon's going to flood the market with ad inventory, which is going to hurt everybody else because the inventory is going to push prices down. To clarify, Prime Video is going to be an ad tier as of the first quarter. Ads are coming to Prime Video Unless you, pay you haven't heard. $2.99. Extra, yeah. yeah, extra yeah. three bucks a month. So that's yes. a large amount of yeah, ad inventory uh, coming to the market yes. ASAP. Exactly. And we all focus on what's happening in the U.S., Amazon and Apple and all of these companies, Warner and Paramount, they have huge international businesses that we barely talk about. But again, Amazon has a ton of sports rights overseas as well. It's not just the US. Yeah. And so how much ad revenue can they take from everybody else? Quite a lot, I would say. Yeah. Then as you look at, go back to you know the, this WBD Paramount thing yeah. and about a scale and things like that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're having a new formidable, the 2024 Amazon video business business is going to look vastly yes. different than the 2023 business. And I don't think, no people are really, you know, we all know that tiers or the ads are coming, but to your point, I don't think that's settled in yet in terms of what the effect's going to be on ad sales for everybody else trying yes. to, you know, because that inventory is so large. And we think about, you know, we think about Prime Video as being the only story at Amazon. It's not. There is Freevee, which yeah. is huge, had its own couple of hits. Uh, Jury Duty, huge this Jury year. Duty, yeah, Justice Judy, which I like. Sure. Can't go wrong with it, exactly. <laughs> Judge G Judy. Shylin, of course, still <laughs> exactly. out there cranking out the episodes. And and she's going to linear TV. All those episodes are going into syndication on linear TV this uh, in 2024. So she's, she's going full circle. Lady. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you have like MGM Plus, which they're building as their version of yeah. like FX on Hulu. It's not there yet, but it's an intention to make that something, uh, you know, a, a pay only destination. Yeah. Yeah. Such an well, optimistic view of Amazon, Claire. <laughs> I would not have expected Amazon to top this uh, you list. Know, yeah, I, th I will say we didn't mention Citadel, which, you know, is still a lot of question marks out there in terms of what the ROI was on that series. True. You know, the, the math, I mean, everything you're saying is correct, and I, I, I agree, you know, and, and Thursday Night Football has been a, up 25% ratings this year. They've done a great job of that in year two, you know, and that they, they have learned the lessons and made a big market improvement. So that was a big, a big win. But, you know, they're still spending a lot of money on these projects. And every time I'm like, you know, I mean, Air came out and everyone's like, you spent $130 million, you know, and this movie made $80 million in box office. And like, how does this math work? Mm. You know, this is a streaming math myth. And it's like, all right, at some point, you know, and Andy Jassy's looking at, I mean, they're making cutbacks in a lot of, you know, groups that hasn't really hit prime video at this point. Not that it wouldn't, but, and Amazon's still bidding in a lot of these kind of bidding wars that have emerged here in December winning a couple of them, I think. So it's just this big, you know, kind of like $80 million for above the line talent on movies. And it's like, um, how does this matter? You know, just, I don't know. That's it. 
not not my problem, but you know, and Amazon has the the flywheels to kind of you know yes. justify it. But there is a little bit of that of like, all right, you know. But Jack Ryan was a big hit. Reacher's a big hit for them this year, so they're having yeah, had, had this some stuff here. Yeah, yeah. And by all accounts, the writers and studio folks I've been talking to say that Amazon and Netflix have been the most interested buyers coming out of the strikes. Which Netflix I could believe, but Amazon was a little bit of a surprise that so they're still willing to open their wallets right now for scripted programming. Sean, who would you say has had the best year? Oh man! Uh, On the spot. Here. I mean, I, no. I mean, I disqualify Apple because they don't say anything, so they don't get any points. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't play the game, you don't get to have any points. I'm sorry. It's very it. difficult to to you measure. Can. Yeah, Apple. yeah. Even Amazon Great has Apple. its issues that way. I do think the morning show is just so amazing, though. I loved it. So good. <laughs> Big fan of the John Hamm edition. All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I would probably give it to to Comcast. Honestly, I think NBCU has largely. Even they were the only the only network that had original shows this fall on NBC. The appearance-wise, it wasn't like they were like, what happened to you guys? You know, that kind of thing, which CBS and ABC certainly had. Movie business, as I mentioned, had a big, huge, profitable year, and they're making diverse. They're not just doing the tent poles and walking home. You know, it's like uh, Megan was an entirely original hit. They try, but they're still trying with strays. They're still Blumhouse is keeping that engine going. So that that's good. Peacock, as you said, I, I'm a fan, but as a business model, it is a question mark. But but the theme parks and they just bought a huge parcel of land outside of London. So they're kind of keeping the like Singapore's opening or, or expanding this year. Illuminations doing great business. We'll see what migration does at the holidays. So I, I would give it to them. Amazon, things you mentioned are great, but again, some visibility questions for me of just like, how, okay, how do we really score this? How do you rate these things is, is important to me. So what do you say? What do you don't say? And Netflix, you know, look, we have all the data from them and the, it's hard to find a flaw outside the, the ad tier. Yeah, hasn't been great, but it's also a brand new business. So it's like, all right. But at a certain point, Claire, that excuse leaves and it's probably already done, quite frankly. So, you know, a lot of eyes on them for that upfront and coming in May. I'll, I'll say that much at this point. So mm-hmm. anyway, Claire also breaks down Fox, Apple, gives all the grades. So again, go read that piece uh, this weekend over at theankler.com. Great job, Claire. And uh, that's going to be a wrap for this week and for the year. We're going to take next week off because Elaine has a thing that she just can't uh, you have a tennis match or something, Elaine? Was that it? I don't even know what happened. Yes, I'm planning on playing tennis in this pouring rain out here in LA. <laughs> That's the plan. That's it for your holiday week. So yeah, exactly. Just a note, Richard and I will be keeping the lights on here at the Ankler during the holidays. I'll be doing my wake up box office breakdowns on uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve because, well, let's face it, I don't have a wife or kids. So I have some time in my hands on the holidays and also be keeping a tab on the Netflix box office on Wednesdays. For the maestro numbers we'll have, we'll have the new Zack Snyder extravaganza, Rebel Moons, see how many people are engaging with that. So some definitely some numbers coming in over the holidays, which I will keep you updated on. And Richard will have his annual executive exit interviews a couple of days after Christmas, giving you a lowdown on his conversations with top folks in the business on what they see ahead for 2024. And as always, you can follow uh, The Ankler at The Ankler on the socials and sign up for the newsletters and podcasts at theankler.com. If you want to reach me sometime, I would say LinkedIn is the best. Sean McNulty right here. I'm a LinkedIn guy, Claire. Are you a LinkedIn person? I like, yeah. LinkedIn's my new social. Yeah. It's It's there more than I'm anywhere else. Yeah, Twitter, you know, it's funny, Twitter had an outage yesterday, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know, it isn't quite what it used to have been a year or two ago, so in terms of, like, the freak out, but uh, anyway, you can find me over there, again, Sean McNulty on LinkedIn, and Elaine, of course, how can people find you? I am on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, at Elaine Lowe, and uh, email me, Elaine, at theankler.com. And Claire? I am... Uh... <laughs> 
gosh, should people reach you? I don't or should know. I get my email address? Maybe don't, they don't reach you. I don't know. So it's fine. Or, or Twitter, whatever you like. They the can woman reach of mystery. Yeah. Anywhere. I'm everywhere. Just Google the media mix. There you go. There you, you go. Find me through that. Keep it easy. All right. Of course, thank you all for listening. Have a great holiday season and we'll see you in January. Bye.